0: You know when I, when I think about the church, I've, I've shared this before, and you know this to be true. The, the church never was meant to be a building; was never um, the word was never meant to be used for you know wood and, and, and structure. It was always uh, used to communicate a people who were called out, who were called out of being identified with the world and being called into being identified with Jesus. It was always supposed to be this movement of people that said, we are following a different king. We're following King Jesus. And as a community of people who understood that Jesus is their everything. Was their everything? That he's the head, that he's the foundation, that he is the head of the body, his church, And then I also look at this community of people that um, called the church that have been around for 2,000 years. It's always been a community of people, this movement that was so dependent and desperate for Jesus. And that was the way that Jesus set it up. I look back to to Luke 24, and Jesus said, I am going away. I'm going to ascend to the Father. And he told his disciples what? He said, stay here in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. He said, stay in Jerusalem until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus knew that those individuals and in us today couldn't do anything that he has called us to, invited us into without the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the cool thing about Jesus. He, he gave us this mission, but he also gave us the power to carry it out through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Spirit coming into us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And so as I look at the church all throughout the years, was always this community that was so in love with Jesus, identified with Jesus, saying, yes, there are different kings on this planet, but our king is King Jesus, and we're bowing our knee to no one else except him. But it's also this community that was going to be so dependent and so desperate for Jesus to move and so dependent on him. And so that's where we're at as a community at Restoration Church. I I look at that, and I look at, at that description of the church that has always been, and that's who we want to be. We want to be a people who are so identified with Jesus. When people look at us, they're like, wow, those are a bunch of unschooled, ordinary people, but we know that they have been with Jesus. Man, there's something unique about them. They know Jesus in the depths of their heart. But also, we want to be a people who are so dependent on Him. When we walk into school tomorrow... When we walk in there, we're walking in there so dependent on Jesus, saying, Jesus, we want to see you move in our schools. When we go into the workplace, when we go uh, into our neighborhoods, we want to be people who are so dependent and desperate to see Jesus move and and move in people's lives. And that's why during the season, we're in a season of prayer, focused on prayer. Because we don't want to do things just like, you know, that maybe churches do. Like, oh yeah, the, the expectation of a church is to do A, B, C, we don't want to do that. We don't want to just fall into those routines. We want to walk in obedience with the Holy Spirit, going where God has asked us to go. And so a couple weeks ago, I talked about one of the most, now it's the most important thing that we need to be about. And in Mark chapter 3, it says that Jesus called to himself those he desired, those he longed for, because he wanted to be with them. Your number one job as a follower of Jesus is to be with him. That is the greatest thing you can do as you wake up every morning is to sit and be with the one who wants to be with you. This week I heard a story about Billy Graham when he was 90 years old, over 90 years old. Billy Graham, great evangelist, traveled the world, proclaimed the gospel to millions, saw millions come to know Jesus. He was later in his life, uh, over 90 years old, and his grandfather or his grandson came to him. His grandson said, you know, grandfather, I, I heard this message I heard this message about being with Jesus and that Jesus desired to, de- desires to be with me and uh, share this entire message with his grandfather. And Billy Graham, frail uh, in his older age, a man of few words uh, over 90, just uttered this after hearing his grandson say that. He uttered this, he says, that is the most important thing that you can do in your life is to sit and be with Jesus. And then he went on to say, Billy Graham, went on to say, I need to do more of that. Don't ever forget that. The number one thing that we can do and be a part of is to be with Jesus. Sit and be with Jesus. But also last week we looked at, as we're sitting with Jesus, as we're being with him, what should be our posture towards him? And we looked at Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the beggars for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus invites us, for those who, who um, want to, to receive the kingdom of heaven, the posture that we have to, to take is one who is so dependent on God that we're begging him every single day, coming to him like a beggar, not like uh, thinking that, okay, we, have a, we, have, we don't have anything, so we got to go to work to earn it. No, being a beggar, recognizing that everything that we have comes from God, and so begging him desperately to move into our lives to guide our lives. And so that's where we're at as a church. We want to be a people who are identified with Jesus or being with Jesus and are so desperate for him to move. I look at the church in America and I'm not just talking about Restoration Church. I'm talking about the church in America and people of God here in America. And I would say this, and this is my opinion and feel free to push back. Um, You can have a conversation with me one-on-one. That's fine. Feel free to push back. But I believe that we are entering times that are dangerous for the church. The church is filled with sin, has always been filled with sin. There's greed, there's immorality, there's gossip, people who are in love with money. There's a a tremendous amount of problems. But the reason that I say it's dangerous for the church, that we're in an age where it's dangerous, is because coming out of COVID, coming out of that time, all of a sudden as life gets back to normal, as routines start to be reestablished, I have seen it's easy in times of comfort to be really, um, what's the word? Yeah, just comfortable with our in our faith, complacent. Thank you, Cece. To become complacent, to become like a, a little lackadaisical in our relationship with Jesus. And I know when it's times are desperate, it's, it's really easy to be dependent on Jesus. In a time of crisis, it's really easy to be like, I'm crying out to the Lord. But when life is comfortable, when life is kind of going, you know, status quo, it's easy to slide back and not cry out like we once did. It's easy to when, uh, it's, when times are, are comfortable to stop seeking the Lord like we, we should be instead of we're satisfied with the things of this world. To look at riches of this world as a greater joy than the riches of knowing Christ. As we get, as as things just kind of return, it's easy to become comfortable. And I never want us as a church to be there. Because as I look at, like I shared, all throughout scripture, we see a people of God that are hungry, that are desperate for the Lord, that are finding all that they have in the Lord. I want you to look at Mark chapter 6. I was taken to this passage this week In Mark chapter 6, and I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation this morning. And this is a very um, famous story. You know this story, and kind of the temptation with this story is you know it so well, you already know what it means. And um, I'm just asking that the Lord would speak to us anew in a a fresh way this morning. But it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And it says this in in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told them all that they had done and taught. And then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So you get the picture there. Jesus had sent out the 12 and he said, go and, and share the gospel. And they came back and they told him all that had happened. And I'm sure they were weary and tired. And, and so Jesus is like, hey, let's go on a little vacation. Let's go up north. Let's relax. Let's go to the cabin. And let's kind of just chill for a while and just refresh and renew And so it says in verse 32, So they left by the boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. I mean, that's just crazy. Jesus is like, no, we're going away. We're going to rest. And the people saw where he was going. They beat him to the spot. And so they get there. And instead of Jesus looking at the crowd and saying, nope, I don't have any time for you. Me and my, my disciples, we're going to chill. We're going to relax. We're going to refresh. Instead, he, looks at, he says he looks out on the crowd and he has compassion on them. His heart breaks for them. And so what does he do? He starts teaching them. He teaches them about the kingdom of God. And we continue in verse uh, 35. Says, late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they could go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, No, you feed them. With what they asked, which is a very normal question. With what they asked, we have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. And then Jesus says, How much bread do you have? go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. So they said, this is all we have. This is all that we have to offer, which isn't that like, that's how we need to live our life with Jesus. Jesus, this is all I have. Here's, Here's my life. Here's my gifts. Here's my time. Here's my ability. This is what I have, and I'm offering it to you. And probably you're looking at your life, and you're like, you know what? That about sums up my life. I got about uh, two fishes and five loaves. That's about it. This is all that I have. And so they say, "Here's, here's what we have. Then Jesus, verse 39, told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up towards heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up twelve baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of five thousand men, and their families were fed. Now, can you imagine being a disciple for a second? You offer Jesus your your, your meager fish and, and bread. Here's my fish and chips, Jesus. Here's all I have. I'm giving it to you. And he takes it and he starts handing it out. And it never runs out. I mean, imagine, like, what, what would you have been thinking in that moment? Your front row, you have a front row seat, on watching this amazing miracle. You're like, we only gave him five loaves and two fishes, and he's multiplying it, and people are being fed, and women and children are being taken care of. Like, who is this? This is absolutely amazing. He takes what little we have, and he multiplies it. All we did was offer this to him. But here's the thing that hit me this week. In verse 42, it says, They ate the crowd. They all ate as much as they wanted. Or in the ESV, I like this. It says, they all ate and were satisfied. Satisfied. I mean, I want you to think. Like, I, these, probably, these calories probably like, that they ate probably didn't count because Jesus gave it to them. Like, so think about this. Like, think about Thanksgiving dinner. Think about Thanksgiving dinner, like stuffing yourself, and the calories don't even count, and you're like, you're pumpkin pie and turkey and mashed potatoes and stuffing. You're like, um, you know, into every nook and cranny. Or if you're health nut, like salad and chicken and quinoa and like all of that stuff, like just filling your body. Or like for teenagers, like Chipotle. Like imagine like you know, an unlimited supply of Chipotle, like burrito, just filling your gut or crumble cookies, like you know, just endless supply and. You are so, so satisfied. This is how people were feeling. They came there following Jesus. They heard his teaching, and Jesus filled their bellies to overflowing. This is the heart of the Father. See, I think we often think that that God has a, a scarcity mindset of like, oh, I've just, he's limited resources. But no, he wants us to be satisfied. I love this picture, and this is a very just practical thing. Like, here was some food, and and Jesus filled their bellies till they were overflowing. Now, I don't know what happened as they they left that place, because eventually they left, and we're going to see what happened. But eventually they left. I don't know if they waddled out of there, rolled out of there, or whatever, but they were stuffed. But look what happens the next day. Turn to John chapter 6. They leave. Jesus sticks around. He sends the disciples away. They go on the sea, and they had an interesting night. Uh, the wind and the waves were kicking up, and, and it was a, a bad night for them on the wind of the waves, and Jesus was not with them. And then about 3 o'clock in the morning, they see this ghost, or what they thought was a ghost, walk by, and it was actually Jesus walking on water to join them. And then he comes in the boat, and the boat chills, and, and, or the, the wind and the waves you know, stop, and the boat uh, relaxes. But then the next day, the people, they don't see Jesus around. And so they're like, where did he go? Where did, where did Jesus go? And so they heard, you know, that, that he was on the other side. And so they again follow him. They're like stalking Jesus. They're following him. They're chasing after him. And Jesus replies to them in verse uh, 26. He tells them why they're coming in John chapter 6. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of approval. And so Jesus is saying, I know why you're coming. You're coming because I'm offering free food. You know, you want to know how to get a crowd? You want to know how to get a bunch of people? You know, go to Chick fil A and say, hey, I'm paying for everybody's food. You'll get a crowd. Jesus got a crowd because he fed their bellies, and that's why they're coming. They were looking for another meal. They were hungry. But Jesus has never stopped with just satisfying the physical. He is always pressing into something deeper. He wants our hearts. And so listen to this interaction. They replied, we want to perform God's work too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. And so this crowd answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? Well, didn't he do something the day before? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the whole wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Which is interesting that they bring up their ancestors because you're like, you bring up these ancestors, but yeah, they were provided food from heaven, uh, bread from heaven, but they didn't really believe, you know, uh, they really complained and they really criticized like what was going on. So they weren't filled with faith, but they went there. And so Jesus said, all right let me clarify something for you. Verse 32. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied this. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then they go back and forth. And then fast forward to verse 48. Jesus again says, yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. So interesting. Jesus says to this crowd, some who came looking for a meal, looking to get their needs met. Others were looking for a sign. were looking for something of the supernatural. We're looking for a miracle to be, be performed. Show us your power, Jesus. It's interesting that he takes that. And he says, this is all well and good. I provide physical needs. I can move in the supernatural. I can provide miracles. But at the end of the day, what Jesus is after is our hearts. He desires our whole hearts for us to be identified with him. And it is only then when we are identified with him that we will be fully satisfied in the deepest places of our lives. This morning, are you finding Your deepest satisfaction in Jesus. We have desires. Desires to be accepted. Desires to be seen. Desires to be acknowledged. Desires to have, um, yeah, just to be accepted and to be loved. But we have to know that only those desires will be fully met when they're met in Jesus. Jesus is after our hearts. Jesus wants us to be fully satisfied, but too often we go after the things of this world thinking that they will satisfy, but they leave us empty, and we will only be satisfied until we're completely satisfied in him. I mean, that is the beautiful picture of God the Father. He's like, here's my heart. I want you to be completely filled, but you're only going to be filled completely when you're full and feeding on my son, Jesus. See, Jesus starts talking about those, you know, uh, if you want to follow me, you have to eat my body and, and drink my blood. It would, sounds kind of gross. They're all confused. They're like, what? what are you saying? But really what Jesus was saying is, be identified with me. And the disciples, like many people, fall away. The disciples, and they're like, uh, the, he comes to the disciples, and he goes, people have left. This whole crowd eventually leaves. And he looks at the disciples, and he says, are you going to leave too? And they look at him and they say, no, where else can we go? You alone have the words to eternal life. You alone are life-giving. As a body, we need to know that our deepest needs are going to only be met in Jesus. And so this morning, are we deeply satisfied with him, in him? I think about this, and I think about in this season of prayer, this knowingness that God our Father wants to satisfy our deepest needs in Christ this should change how we pray. And I believe this changes, or this, this changed how Paul prayed. And I look at the New Testament, I look at all the prayers in the New Testament, and I'm challenged by the way that Paul prays. The last couple of weeks, I've invited all of us just to hop into the New Testament prayers. The prayers that that Paul is praying for the church. And if you go to the website uh, on the What's Happening page, you can uh, download the, um, there's a a picture up there, Piper, you can put it up there. There's a picture of the verses uh, that we have been praying into. And here's the next one. And so this week, we're praying into the Lord's Prayer and learning about how to pray by praying into the Lord's Prayer. But I have been so convicted, so convicted by how Paul prayed. I mean, look at Ephesians 1. And I want to close here. And I want to ask us just the simple question, are our prayers lining up with the prayers that we see in Scripture. I mean, knowing that God wants to satisfy our deepest desires in Christ should affect how we pray. I mean, Paul prays this way. He says in verse 15 of Ephesians 1, he says, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. And I pray for you constantly. Paul was not critical of those. He's like, I'm thanking God for you, and I'm praying for you. And how does he pray for them? He says, I'm asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you can grow in your knowledge of God. I also pray that your hearts would be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Look at how Paul prays. He says, this is what I'm praying for you. This is what I'm begging God for you. I want you to grow in your knowledge of him. And he's not talking about head knowledge. He's talking about heart knowledge. I want you to grow in your knowledge of the one who alone can satisfy your heart. I want you to understand him more, not in your head, but in your heart. This is so different than how we pray because so often I find myself praying for people's behaviors. Would you help Jimmy stop drinking? Would you help Joey stop lying? Would you help, would you fix these behaviors? So often, we're after behavior modification instead of transformation. And the way to transformation is how we see Paul praying. He's praying that we would grow in the knowledge of God and that we'd also have a hope that comes from knowing that this life, as wonderful as it is, is nothing compared to what awaits us. And that should give us so much hope. And Paul's also praying that we would understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. I mean, think about that. Think about how he's praying. I want them to grow in the knowledge of God and to know the power that is available to them. There is more power in one follower of Jesus than all the armies in this world. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is in us. See, knowing that we have a God who wants to satisfy us completely in Christ should change the way that we pray. I look at Paul, and he's saying, I want you to grow in your knowledge of God. I want you to grow in the love, knowing the love that God has for you, a love that is beyond understanding. Because when we understand the love that God has for us, it transforms us. And he says, I want you to know, to be satisfied, and know the power that is available to you. I just think in this season... We're focused on prayer. We have a God who wants to satisfy. We have a God who we have a God. We have a Father who wants to hear us crying out to Him. But what are we crying out to Him? Are we crying out and asking to know Him more? Are we crying out and we're begging Him, God? I want to know Your power. I want to see Your power. Because at the end of the day, I don't want us just to live lives that are predictable, lives that can be explained in the natural. I want us to be a community. That are that's walking in the dependence on the Holy Spirit, walking in the joy of the Lord, where we see things, not that we can do in our own ability, but see things that only God can do so that he gets the glory. And so as Tyler and the worship team come up, here's what I want to do. We're gonna sing a song, and we're gonna finish with a song, Great I Am. But before that, we're gonna sing a song, Here I Am, Here Again. Here again. During this song, I want you, there's freedom in how you, in how you feel led to worship, but I want you to sit. And if you want to stand and do this, this is fine, but I want you to pray. I want you to pray the, the, the prayer that Paul prayed. God, I just want to know you. God, I want to know the power that is available to me. I want to know the surpassing greatness of your power that is in me, the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. God, I don't want to just go through my life and just meander through life. I want to know you more. And so I want to challenge you to become a little uncomfortable and just extend your hands and pray this prayer. God, I just want to know you. I want you to satisfy uh, me in the depths of my being. Would you give me a spirit of revelation and wisdom so that I can know you more, so that I can know your love more. So would you just use this song just to cry out and pray to God and then we'll wrap up our service by singing the